Hello and welcome to Anatomy of a Win. My name is Amy Bailey, the SVP of Marketing at Tolaris, and I'm excited to welcome our friends today at Hypercore and CompuNet. Isa Jenkins and Chris Pask are with um, CompuNet. We're excited to have them here to talk about the win that they did with Patrick over at uh, Hypercore. So Isa, can you tell us a little bit about the who? Who was involved here? Who was the customer? How did you come to know them and how did this all get started? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, Amy. So the customer, Woodgrain Millworks, they are a national wood supply and manufacturing firm or company. Uh, they have about 25 locations located in some very disparate areas of the, of, uh, the United States. And uh, we, as CompuNet, we support them on other fronts within technology. So network, data center, some of their uh, hosting of their applications. And really, when we the way we came about it was uh, talking to them about what their business goals and initiatives were uh, for 2019. And really it was, their answers were the usual suspects, right? We wanna improve productivity, improve efficiencies, improve, improve employee satisfaction, improve the customer experience that their clients and their business partners experience, right? Kind of the usual suspects of what most business initiatives are, which rolled into, okay, how do we accomplish that? And what IT initiatives and product or projects come out of that? And so the IT team identified things like improving their SaaS application delivery to all of these locations, um, migrating to a hosted VoIP solution so that they could effectively communicate better, migrate to O365, which they had on the roadmap, but being somewhat forced by Microsoft to start migrating and moving that way just made sense, right? So those were some of the initiatives or IT projects that came out of that. <laughs> And in speaking with both the IT and the business folks within Woodgrain, everybody pointed to the fact and identified really quickly that their WAN and internet connectivity could not handle or support those initiatives. So really that yeah. bubbled up to the top of both business and IT initiatives of, hey, we got to get our foundation, our network in, in line and in order and improved so that we can deliver on these other initiatives that we've identified. So that's really how it came about. And um, us at CompuNet, we've got an entire team or division that, uh, that works with the Tolerises and the Hypercores of the world where I just go to that team and say, all right, here's what the customer's telling me. And here's what I've gathered so far. Let's move this through, you know, let's move this to the next step of the process. And that's how we, who it is and how we came about it. I like it. So you just come to us and say, make it happen. So Patrick, he comes to you and says, make it happen. What were your guys' first steps in that? Uh, well, the first reaction was great because that is, is kind of the quintessential ideal customer uh, for Hypercore. They had several different needs around their network and not only just the circuit and connectivity between sites and connecting to the cloud, uh, but also with their hardware. So they had some legacy uh, technology um, and MPLS provider they had for several years, and we're just looking to migrate off of that. So uh our, our kind of initial discovery that we did was just really taking an, an agnostic approach to finding out what um, these pain points are and where Hypercore can essentially fill the need for, uh, for, for what the next, not only just what the short-term, but the long-term goals of their IT needs are. Well, now, when we first talked about this, I said you'd said 2019. So this started a while ago, and then did things change into 2020? Did this all get solved and done before 2020 and the craziness we experienced last year? Or were there any changes that happened because of all the pandemic stuff? 
Yeah, so great question. So a couple of things. We did get the deal, you know, signed and started in 2019. Okay. And locations started to be migrated in 2019 um, into 2020. So ironically, within the just the nature of the business that they're in, right? Meaning wood manufacturing. Right. Um, and I think a lot of us experienced this is that early on in COVID, a lot of us sat around our houses and started looking around and going, hey. I need to upgrade this, 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 uh-huh. this. Next thing you know, Lowe's and Home Depot's the world are the busiest places on earth, right? During Absolutely. COVID. Well, that that translated to business for, for wood grain. And there were a few sites where they needed to up some bandwidth that was already put in place. They also had made some acquisitions in 2020 for new locations that they okay. purchased from other, um, from other wood manufacturing companies. And so we had to bring them into the fold. So you know, for, for this deal specifically and for wood grain, uh, COVID in 2020 was actually somewhat of a good thing or, or provided a lot of uh, expansion, if you will, or, or um, additional, you know, sites and, and um, bandwidth opportunities, so. That's awesome. A lot of our Tolaris agents felt the same thing, right? All of a sudden, all their customers were needing to figure out how to send everybody home to work or have better uh, communication with what they had. And so that was definitely a plus uh, for us as well. So I uh, love to see that that w- it was a good impact for some people in other, other uh, industries. So Chris, can you tell us a little bit about how you uh, got the handoff, right? So Isaac was able to sell this, was able to talk to them about what they needed. And then I sent, understand you're the brains behind getting all this done and, and installed, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm part of the brains here at CompuNet. Uh, we have a very strong engineering bench that really kind of helps us uh, kind of take uh, it to the next level with really identifying what is going to be important to the customer uh, at the end of the day. Like I mentioned, that end user experience, making sure that those applications are performing to the level that they need to, helping uh, be the go-between between the, the hypercore uh, technology folks and uh, our technical folks as well, and making sure that that, uh, that uh uh, proper SD-WAN was identified, which would uh, best fit their needs um, in this case. And then also uh, really kind of help identify what would be the process post-signature and really uh, identifying to the wood grain team uh, after they sign what that would all look like from an implementation perspective. And that was very important to this particular customer, uh, having experienced maybe some of those uh, pains of working with legacy carriers in the past, uh, they were able to actually really spell out what their statement of work would look like uh, each step of the way through each uh, circuit activation, through the SD-WAN delivery devices and all those uh, bits in between. And so uh, once ISA kind of handed that off to me, uh, my job was to really kind of make sure that uh, the Hypercore team had that really buttoned up and ready for presentation back to the customer. And uh, we, uh, I think we nailed it with our presentation back. That's awesome. So yep. Patrick, it's not probably very often that you get to work with somebody at the level of CompuNet where they have a bench of folks like Chris who can help with that. Where do you guys fit in if, if a partner is saying, hey, I can't do what they did because I don't have a Chris on my team. You know, where could they rely on either the Tolaris bench or the Hypercore bench to be able to you know, help once, once, a, once their salesperson, their version of ISA comes in and, and you know, sells the deal? How do they keep going with that? Sure. So if, if um, the, the partner doesn't have that resource, that, that's certainly fine, you know, between um, the Tolaris engineering team and account management team um, locally in those regions that, that understand and have these relationships with the partners um, and the Hypercore support team, primarily the, the engineering team um, that has worked so closely with Chris and ISA, but especially with Chris uh, pre-sale and uh, mostly uh, post-sale. 
to just help to get these uh, circuits and uh, different phases of the project to, to be installed, um, we're able to provide those resources. So between Tolaris on the engineering side and that account management side or ours, um, we, we, we have uh, partners covered if they maybe aren't, we're not as large or, or just maybe focus on one facet of the business and, and they're gonna rely on um, that, that other need in order to kind of help facilitate the sale. Perfect. So Isa, Chris, were there any gotchas in this? Were there things that you wish you would have known that, that you didn't know or that you could give some advice to other partners that would make either life easier for this customer or for you folks? But I'll go first. How's that, Chris? All right. So oh, That's a good one. I'm, I'm cracking up already. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, these aren't necessarily bad gotchas, but I think the really the takeaways for our fellow partners is engage Tolaris and, and HyperCore early early in the process. We don't have to be the experts, right? We're just out there just having conversations with the customers, identifying some needs. We don't need to know the answer right away. And then that's when we lean on the Tolerises and the hypercores of the world. So I would just say, if you don't know, just ask, right? Don't, don't, don't overthink it. Don't think, just, just throw it over the fence and uh, we'll, we'll get pointed in the right direction. So engage early and often. And then again, just you don't have to be the expert. That's, that's really not our role as the partners. And from there, it, uh, everything falls in place. I love that. I love the chuckles too. There's gotta be a story behind this, but Chris, we'll let you go next. Yeah, yeah, we actually all had a lot of fun uh, with this one, honestly, that's what the chuckles were behind it, um, you know, from start to finish, I think just collaborating as a team, as Isa mentioned, you know, there were some early mornings, some late evenings, just kind of, you know, formulating our, our strategy around this, uh, this uh, RFP, uh, bolting everything together, making sure when we uh, showed up in, uh, in Idaho that we're ready to present and um, actually, I think uh, we were running a marketing campaign at the same time and ended up on camera. So this would be the second go around that we're on camera together over this particular opportunity. So uh, anyway, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And honestly, I think I couldn't really add a lot more than ISA did, but just, you know, have fun with it. The, the, the Hypercore team are, are great to work with, very uh, technically savvy people on their team. Um, guys that are really willing to roll up their sleeves and, you know, get in the dirt and uh, dig in and uh, help you have success. So, uh, um, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. And Patrick, any gotchas, any words of wisdom for our partners there? Uh, you know, they, they kind of hit it on the head. Um, we, we love to be brought in early. Um, I think it's, it makes sense, especially from a uh, perspective of an aggregator like Hypercore. You know, there was, I think, through this uh, RFP process with this customer, there was over a dozen, I believe, different vendors that were um, being, you know, looked at and, and incorporated. And one of the reasons we had, we had won is because our, of our portfolio depth and having as many carriers as we did, uh, working with as many um, underlying carriers, I should say, and, and as, uh, as well as, as uh, the, the number of SD-WAN providers that we worked with. So we were able to kind of get in early and identify what those needs are and then come you know, with that option uh, versus late in the game where a customer might already be set on one particular solution versus another, gave us an opportunity by coming in early just to really understand what was going on and what those needs were. So um, you know, our agnostic approach with the large portfolio depth that we have with all those carriers and the vendors, um, it really allowed us to kind of pick the perfect solution for Woodgrain. So a lot of our partners hear RFP and they get scared. They go, oh my God, I don't want to do it. I, I can't answer an RFP. So did you guys have any hand in helping to write this RFP? Did you just get this and, and answer it and win? How did that work about? 
Yeah, Amy, great question. So yes, you know, we were, we're along with the rest of the partners here. When you hear RFP, all kinds of things start. <laughs> you know, some assumptions are made, some big sighs and deep breaths. But to answer your question, we did not have a hand in writing um, any of the RFP. We knew it was happening. And because of some factors internally at, at, at Woodgrain, it took them about a year to write that RFP. Wow. Now, it was a very well-written RFP. You could tell that they did their due diligence. You can tell they probably leaned on some other RFPs that might have been out there before. So it was a very tightly written RFP. When I say that, with very clear, defined requirements, right, which helped us effectively respond. It was there wasn't a lot of unanswered or a lot of questions that we had, you know, once that RFP hit the streets. So um, we, within Compunet, we also have an RFP team. So we we just make sure, you know, logistically we're, we're checking all the boxes, right? And yeah. there was a lot of boxes to check. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, between that team, between Hypercore, between Chris and his team, we brought it all together and ultimately our response did win. And yes, that's we great. About, yeah, we had about 12 to 13 other respondents to that RFP for sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of our partners get freaked out when they hear RFP. Yeah. They figure, you know what, I don't have, I don't have the resources to even answer it first of all, let alone, you know, be able to think that I have a chance of winning it when there's 12 or 13 other, you know, people playing the game. Um, that, that's pretty scary. And, and if, you know, especially, I mean, you guys are a much larger partner for us, uh, but there are a lot of our partners who are sole proprietors or, you know, two person shops. And so for them to spend hours and hours on an RFP isn't always worth it. A lot of times we'll say to partners, if you didn't have a hand in writing it, you probably aren't going to have a you know chance of winning it yeah. uh, it's not always true but th if there was somebody now it sounds like they did this this research on their own and they were they wrote it themselves a lot of times there's a technology consultant who did have a hand in writing it and if that wasn't you it's right. going to be a tough win yeah. so Very yeah true. yeah no and the only other thing i can add to what isa said is just learn to differentiate yourselves right and when you're going against 13 um respondents sometimes you know you can get lost in the mix of where you're different and uh, I think between uh, what CompuNet brought to the table and what the uh, Hypercore brought to the table we we're um, really very easily able to uh, differentiate ourselves from uh, probably um, I don't know probably almost half or maybe even more than half of the respondents that uh, that did reply so definitely be prepared to to show why you're bringing a different value than some of the other respondents. That's great. Well, congratulations. This is a big win. Uh, well, I love to do the anatomy of a win, but I love it even better when it's a big win like this and you had to really duke it out with other folks in there. So thanks so much for joining us, everybody. This is Anatomy of a Win. I'm Amy Bailey and stay tuned for the next one.